With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. John Miller back one more time. As promised, Steve Dace and I are going to talk about the recently released Star Wars movie, as we told you we would. Want to give a warning here to those of you who have yet to see The Rise of Skywalker that what you will hear in the coming nearly two-hour-long episode will be full and all about spoilers. So if you've yet to see the movie and you are planning on seeing the movie and you don't want anything spoiled, this is your warning. Spoilers ahead. If you proceed now and you don't want to hear spoilers, it's all on you. HN Podcast, Miller and Dace. Wait, we told you we'd do one more of these. And this is not about the bowl game. Iowa beat USC. Congrats. That was awesome. This is about something much more important. It's about the end of the Skywalker saga. It is our thoughts in breakdown on the rise of Skywalker, movie number nine in the Skywalker saga, although you could say was Rogue One a part of it? Maybe. Rogue One certainly is a part of the viewing experience if you're going to watch this saga, and we'll probably talk about that at the end. Maybe each of us gives our uh, order of viewing to somebody someday who's never seen any of these, and we will tell you why we think you should view it in the order we're going to tell you. But Steve, I thought it would be fun to just try and stay as chronologically, um, say it in order of the movie and how it played out act to act as much as possible. And we'll probably need to rely on one another to make sure that the other person doesn't get too far afield. So I give you permission to do that for me. And I guess you're okay if I rein you back in too, right? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So let's start where it began. Act one. And there was a lot going on. There was a lot going on. And I believe it began with Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren involved in a fight on some nondescript planet. And they were just laying laying waste to the locals there. Locals that had these cylindrical, round hats, almost kind of like the guys, one guy out of Big Trouble in Little China that had that big circle (laughs) hat that covered his eye. You know what I'm talking about? Sure, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And as I was watching that, I'm like, man, this sure looks familiar. This, 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 I'm having like deja vu. I know I haven't seen this scene before, have I? Anyway, Kylo comes up near the end of that particular scene, and his red lightsaber goes through the back of one of these locals and out his front. And then the camera moves, and it cuts to Kylo's face. And I'm like, I know I've seen something like that before. And then Mary and I were watching The Force Awakens, the first of the final trilogy, and I'm convinced that it is a pullout from Ray's Force vision she had in Maz Kanata's basement because there was a dude in one of those same hats, and it was that same from the back through the front red lightsaber. And then there was a wide shot of the Knights of Ren in the rain with a bunch of bodies laying and strewn around, and I can't wait to get a screen grab of both to see if they laid those bodies the same because it looked the same to me. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, 
Kylo was going for a wayfinder or this 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 triangular shaped device. We didn't know what it was at the time. And then we see him in his airplane or in his TIE fighter, rather airplane, strike me down. Going through some Star Trekky style nebulae to make his way to a planet called Exegol. Yeah, did he, did he, was that the Matara Nebula from Star yeah, Trek 2? Yeah, it, it's what yeah. I thought. There, there were several yeah. Star Trek throwbacks in this to me, in a, few, in a Planet of the Apes one as well. But So he gets to this planet, and then we're hearing the voice of Palpatine. I mean, we get right into Palpatine right away, which I, I kind of like that. And Palpatine saying, I am every voice you've ever heard inside your head. And that sentence starts out with Palpatine saying, I am every voice. And then it goes to Snoke's snarling voice, you've ever heard. And then you get, you know, uh, James Earl Jones, Darth Vader reprising inside your head. And that was really cool, I thought. And then Kylo is going in there to find Palpatine, wants to kill him because he wants to be the only big bad in the universe. Walks by a you know, a, a vat filled with water a la the Hoth planet when Luke was being recovering from his frostbite in that liquid container. And this container contained a bunch of Snokes. So we buttoned up Snokes' backstory nicely in about the first two minutes of this movie. And then Kylo and Palpatine had a dialogue and Palpatine wanted him to go kill Ray. He was instructed to kill the girl. What were your thoughts on this opening scene that I just sort of verbally recreated? Well, something I'm probably going to say throughout the course of this podcast is um, I, I really think this movie would have been better served with five to ten more minutes spread out over several different scenes with, with added dialogue that explained things better. Because here, here's my here's I I have two major beefs with and I just watched all of these again in the last week. Noah and I did just watched them all, getting ready for this. And I've got two big beefs with the new trilogy. Number one, and Abrams admitted this when you know in in the Force Awakens, they had no narrative, no meta narrative of what they were going to do here and where this was going to go. I believe, yeah, I believe he had Palpatine in mind all along. I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay, but but they had no no ultimate end game, and then they had some awful luck with the sad death of Carrie Fisher. That was you know, but poorly timed. Not that there's ever a good time because this was supposed to be her movie. Yes, yeah, they gave Ryan Johnson, who I think when it made in terms of just the quality of this filmmaking made the best movie of this trilogy and I don't even think it's close. I, when you I, watch I, it, when you watch the way it looks, it sounds, the way it's written, it's it's the superior film. But it also is a terrible sequel to The Force Awakens. It destroys every trope that was laid out there, so there's really no automatic pickup place. You know, like at the end of Empire, the automatic pickup place is, well, we got to get Han back. You know, that's where they're Lando and Chewie are leaving to go do that. There's no obvious pickup place. Um, They let Ryan Johnson go too far and let him just run, just just squash every particular, any potential story arc uh, and and caused a fan revolt. 
And so this was mismanaged at the top by Disney. And, and I think you see that play out in, in how rushed this movie is at times. And then that brings me to my second complaint. You know, they had tons of Star Wars books and stuff in between movies when you and I were kids. They had the Marvel comic in between movies when you and I were kids. And you found out cool stuff. You could read those comics in the 70s and 80s and, you know, read about the adventures before between the movies and stuff. And that was cool. But, but you didn't have to read those to know what was going on in the movies. And for those of you listening to this that are younger than us, you know, we didn't just get to watch these on Betamax and VCR anytime we wanted to. These movies didn't actually become available, the original trilogy, for mass consumption until they were all a couple of years after they had all made been in the theaters there for their entire runs. So we're so that's why so many of us went and saw these movies so many times at the theater when we were kids. Because right. when they left, that, that was it. And you weren't getting another one for three years. And and so we didn't have websites and everything else. And 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 we could we knew if if you just went to the movies about the only thing that that I can remember learning from reading a novel, a, a Star Wars novel that wasn't in the movies that I thought, oh, that's interesting. Is that the Emperor's name was Palpatine. That's in the novelization that Lucas wrote for this first Star Wars movie. That's that's about it. Everything else you could have learned th that you needed to really know, you could have gleaned from the movies. So that this opening scene you're talking about, if you read the illustrated dictionary or whatever it's called of, of the rise of Skywalker, that opening scene is on Mustafar. That's Vader's planet where he built where, where Obi-Wan Kenobi and him had the classic duel. He then mm -hmm. built a, a it's a it's it's a it's a strong connection to the dark side. He built a, a shrine there. That was his fortress of solitude was on that planet. And that's and so they were going through all of that stuff was destroyed after when the rebellion won. And so what's happening is the and that's and, that, and the movie makes it look like it's just Kylo out there on doing his own thing. The entire First Order armada is on that planet. They edited scenes out with General Hux and General Pride leading attack legions to conquer the planet, um, which would have given them more of a role in the movie that made you care a little bit more about who these guys were by the time we get to what we'll talk about later with General Hux. And, and of course, this goes without saying for everybody, spoilers, if you haven't listened to this, I would, if you haven't watched the yeah, movie Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put, yeah, I'll put a, I'll put okay. a little uh, recording in the front of this to warn people. But if you read the dictionary, what you learn is that's a mass first order invasion of Mustafar. The General Hux, Generals Hux and Pride are on the ground leading armadas against the people of Mustafar. It's not some, you know, renegade mission where Kylo Ren's off on his own on some vision quest. And that's Mustafar, Vader's planet, and he's trying and he's trying to get access to the wreckage of the of Vader shrine to get to, to which is where he believes that Wayfinder was kept. Mm -hmm. Because if you read the books and comics between these movies, you learn that Vader was obsessed with researching the origins of the dark side because because Palpatine never oh, never kept his promise to bring uh, to to bring Padme back, and he was trying to do this on his own. Okay. Would you have liked to known all that stuff? Don't you think that would have made the opening scene better? Because I think it'd have made it a hell of a it, lot yeah, better. Yeah, it, okay? it, it would have, but there's no way to do that in ten minutes. No way. See, that's I what think books you, are for. I, I you, think you and I, I are voracious readers. We always have been, and yeah. books for you and I are always better than the movies. 
because how we much create does these it take to alter life. one line of the crawler to say, meanwhile, on Mustafar, the the new the first order is frantically searching for a key relic to track down Palpatine, um, kept by the kept by the legend by the by the former Sith Lord Darth Vader. And then they pan to that and they just know right, 30 second right. scene. Oh, okay. How I'll, much harder I'll, would that I'll be? Give you that. I, I yeah, I, I somehow forgot that Star Wars can get on the nose when it wants to. Yes. And I think I you know, when I watched this movie the first time, I sat there and shook my head several times watching it from a plot device standpoint, because I thought he really effed him. Ryan Johnson really effed him. And this is really a sequel to The Force Awakens. It's yes, like it the was. last Jedi never occurred. This yep. is really a sequel to The Force Awakens. And, and I read today that they thought about creating two movies out of this. And normally that's a cash grab. Like it's a terrible idea. They shouldn't have done it with The Hunger Games. That, that final movie of The Hunger Games was two mediocre movies when it would have been one great one. Um, same thing with the final Harry Potter movie. Should have just been one movie. But this one they should have split into two movies. Um, because I can see why they thought about it. Because they, they tried... The whole movie operates at the pace of the of the final 10 minutes of Revenge of the Sith, where they're like, holy crap, we've got to check 50 boxes and we got 10 minutes. Let's get it done. And I thought in this movie, he thought, holy crap, we have 5,000 boxes we got to check because Ryan Johnson epped us to death and we only got two and a half hours. So let's, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. And I think if you're if if if, you know, no one walked out of Avengers Endgame and thought, you know, if that movie would have been three hours and 21 minutes and three hours and 29 would have been really great. No, everybody walked out of there and thought, damn, I'm really sad that's over. That's what everybody thought. 10, 15, I'll even say 15, 15 more minutes spread out over several scenes where they could have shown the audience that they seriously put thought into respecting the source material. And to, and to their credit, there were times we'll get to later in the movie where it was very clear in what the characters say that they were trying to do that. But I, I really thought it, the first time I watched it, I just shook my head several times thinking that's the best they got. Wow. I will say the second time I watched it and all my expectations of what, how they were going to answer these questions were already met. Well, not met because they didn't meet them, but were answered. So I didn't have, I didn't have those expectations anymore and could just watch the movie. I enjoyed it much more. And there were fan service moments. You know, we'll get to this later when, when, when Kylo says to his father, dad, and Han looks at him the way he looks at Leia in Empire and says, I know. Man, that, now, that had no effect on me the first time I saw the movie. This, because I was so disturbed by how thin they, of, of, of a meta-narrative they had. The second time I saw the movie, and I caught stuff like that, it choked me up a lot more. But, but this scene originally, you know, how dope would it have been Dude, they're on Vader's planet. They're sifting through his relics, trying to get that way. Right away, you're like, yeah, this is the source material. Ryan Johnson just beautifully, by the way, it, it's a beautiful water sport. I mean, it, there's never been a better urinating in your Cheerios than The Last Jedi. It's, 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 it's a tasty treat, but it's, ur it's urine nonetheless. But if they had done that right from the outset, I think then all the fanboys sit up in their seats and like, all right. I'm here for this. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I waited yeah. two years. This is the course correction right here. One of the challenges that JJ, Disney, Ryan, I mean, first of all, we both agree it was just a horrific idea for them not to have this laid out. 
and they were going to have three different directors, not just two. It was mm-hmm. going to be it was going to be JJ, then Ryan Johnson, then I can't remember if it was the guy who did Jurassic World. It was yeah. Colin Trevorrow or something. Colin, like yes, that. Colin Trevorrow. So that that was a horrible idea to begin with. By the way, the first three Star Wars movies, I believe, were directed by different people, but it was still Lucas had the overall art, overarching right. story in mind. He just brought in friends of his who were directors, which was his plan all along, to play in this world and allow him to helm the film as mm-hmm. a CEO. So right. that's not new. It's What's new is to not have a direction. Now, I think that a couple of things. One, I... I did not like what Ryan Johnson did with the second movie. I don't like what he did with my favorite movie character of all time in Luke Skywalker. That was not Luke Skywalker, although J.J., I think, came back and and did his best, and we'll get into some of those things. I also think that J.J. really boxed in Ryan Johnson. One of my most hated movie scenes in the history of movies and always will be was when at the end of Force Awakens, one of the great cliffhangers of the last decade in movies was when Ray climbs up Octo, climbs up the hills of, of Skellig Michael, and hands Luke Skywalker's lightsaber to long lost Luke because Ray had found him. Because, you know, R2 came back to life and showed that missing piece of the map. And she hands him the lightsaber, and Luke just stares, and that's how the first one ends. Great cliffhanger. But you know what it did? It boxed Ryan Johnson in in an incredible way that George Lucas never did to himself. The first movie that was released in 1977, A New Hope, between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, we had the passage of time. We had the passage of real time in our lives, but we also had a passage of time in the characters' lives. We rejoin the characters on Hoth. Luke Skywalker is advanced in his training. We we saw this with him reaching out through the Force to pull his lightsaber up and kill the Yeti or whatever it was. And Luke going out there and, and using his Force abilities to take down some AT-AT walkers, things of that nature. We had the passage of time. So Luke's advancement in his Jedi skills is something that we could mentally give permission to. Because time had advanced. With Ray handing the lightsaber over to Luke, who had yet to take it at the end of the first movie, you're hemming JJ or Ryan Johnson in that there's not going to be any passive of time. Movie two is going to pick up right where movie one left off, with Ray just beginning to discover her force powers. And how in the heck is Ray in a lightsaber fight with Kylo Ren, someone who trained under Luke Skywalker? How is she holding her own against this guy? We were all wondering those sorts of things. How was mm-hmm. she playing a Jedi mind trick just from, you know, uh, through osmosis and knowing how to do that? When she did that, you will take off my shackles and lay down your weapon. And the guy did it. So he, 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 box, he boxes Ryan in. And Ryan does the worst thing possible. He makes Luke throw that lightsaber over his shoulder discarding his weapon which we will get a big fu later in the rise of skywalker about that scene and what ryan did there were several fu's in this movie by the way to ryan johnson agrees despite the uh everything's okay between them pr spin that we get so jj did ryan no favors but ryan went the other way and there's about 45 to 50 minutes of um the last jedi that they could have just cut 
like the whole waste of uh, the JJ character. Uh, it was, was it JJ? Was that his name or RJ or whatever his name was? Um, the code breaker you're talking yes. about? Yes. Yeah, because if you go back to that movie, that should have been Maz Tanada should have been the code breaker. And this is where they got into the whole. Pol- I didn't. I, listen, I, I don't think it's much of a secret to our audience what I do for an actual living. Okay. So, you know, I am trained to be sensitive to Hollywood leftism. I didn't get that vibe as, nearly as much as many of my peers like Ben Shapiro and other, even guy, the guys who work for me on my show, Todd and Aaron. I didn't get that vibe. I mean, you, you know, first of all, at the end of the movie, when, when, when Poe goes to lead and everybody turns to Leia and says, well, do we follow? And she goes, what are you looking at me for? Follow him. At the end of the movie, Luke is the hero at the end of the movie. They're all dead without Luke. I just didn't get this mass. But, but where I think there is evidence for it is Canto Bite is totally irrelevant. Totally. It's 25 it minutes that you don't have to it, watch. Yes, yes, you don't have to watch it at all. It doesn't advance the plot at all. In fact, it creates a massive plot hole because you took a mysterious character named Maz Tanada that, and, you're tr- and you're still trying to figure out how she got Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, right? And this was an opportunity to make her a major character in the film, and she's the code breaker. And instead, she's got some stupid union fight. Well, the yes. only reason you go to this planet is you want to make a political statement about the 1%. That's why you're doing it. There, there, it doesn't add anything to the plot. It's so heavy-handed. It's so ham-fisted that if you wanted evidence that Ryan Johnson was more interested in telling his story than the story, I think a lot of it's overblown. That is your is your piece of evidence is the fact that Rose Tycho is an irrelevant is not a necessary character doesn't and 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 in the next set of scenes we'll talk about J.J. Abrams makes that very clear right away okay <laughs> yes, he he, she's not a necessary character there was no reason to do that and there was no reason to go to Canto Bite and everything else and so that at the very least if it wasn't to make a political statement at the very least it's it was it just showed Ryan Johnson was allowed to meander. And, and to me, I think I, I, to me, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend should have been fired 20 Agreed. minutes ago. Agreed. She, and she, she's no Kevin Feige. And if you look at Marvel, you know, the, the Thor Ragnarok looks and sounds as a movie dramatically different than Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yet they're both but two different directors, two different everything else. But, they're, but they fit under the same narrative because Kevin Feige is the godfather. And every director is brought in and told... You are allowed maximum creative creativity with one exception. These are your boundaries. You cannot exceed them. This is our universe, not yours. Within this playpen, you can be as zany or as as esoteric as you would like to be, but you cannot color outside of these lines. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear she had no inclination or ability to do that and is not qualified for this job. And if you want to know what it would look like if they hired someone who was that, that to run this that knew what they were doing, look at what John Favreau yes. did with The Mandalorian. All right, numerous different directors on that too, by the way. But he shepherded him and Dave Filoni from 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 the Clone Wars Clone cartoon, Wars. Yep. Star Wars Rebels. They shepherded that entire series, and it is heads and shoulders better, in my view. Than any of these three movies are just my. It's it's, it's 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 the future of Star Wars is the television mm-hmm. serial and and it's phenomenal. So um, before we leave, um, what is it Exegol, which is the planet that Kylo went to to meet with the Emperor, and we found that 
there was a whole legion of, you know, old school um, Star Destroyers there, which was, I mean, visually, it was really cool. I liked it. I agree. That is a great looking shot. It, it was incredible. Yep. Um, and, Snow, you know, uh, Palpatine, you know, we get we get the Snoke, uh, you know, J.J. very quickly let us know who Snoke was, which was something everybody was pissed about, that the big bad died in the in the second of the uh, sequel trilogies and without really any backstory. We got the backstory really quickly and summed that up quickly was I, I told you that I think J.J. did have Palpatine in mind when he wrote Force Awakens. And if you remember back to Force Awakens, when Kylo was almost praying to the the ghost of Darth Vader when you know he was saying show me again this is a quote from Force Awakens when he was there by Darth Vader's you know burnt helmet in Force Awakens he said show me again the power of darkness and I'll let nothing stand in our way show me grandfather and I will finish what you started there's a very key set of words that started that dialogue show me Again, the power of darkness, which implies he's been shown already once, mm -hmm. which is how he was turned to the dark side. So I think in light of what we saw here in the first scene and in light of that scene of Force Awakens, I think it's a good chance that J.J. planned for Palpatine's return all along because Palpatine was the one pretending to be Darth Vader, which – we hear that in Darth Vader's voice in the opening scene of when he says, I'm every voice you've ever heard inside your head. Because we I, also, we, we, cause we had a problem in force awakens when Anakin is praying to this ghost of our Darth Vader saying, show me again. What do you, wait a second. We saw Anakin Skywalker as a force ghost at yeah, the return of the Jedi. He's redeemed. Yeah, he's, he's so redeemed. it couldn't have been Darth. It couldn't have been Darth Vader. I see. I'm okay with it being Palpatine. I go back to the very beginning, though, in the crawler. I think the crawler should have explained the dead speak. I like that opening line, okay? But the crawler should then have explained, all right, using the power of his of, – of, of Darth his, Plagueis. Of Darth Plagueis, the master he betrayed, all right? Palpatine has been pulling the strings all this time, and his force essence exists a, you know something. I mean, I, you, you, and I, you and I could sit down there for sit, sit down for fifteen minutes and come up with a crawler that fits the exact right words that sets the stage for that for to explain that, and and then you cut to the Mustafar as we just talked about, and I just think that's a better opening to the movie. I think it shows they put more thought into this, um, and and I'm. And, and even if he hadn't thought of Palpatine, you make a, a compelling case. Even if he hadn't, he, it was it was they were going to have to go there because of what Ryan Johnson did, did right. with Snoke. They had right. nowhere else to go. No other compelling villain. You can't introduce a right. new villain no one's ever heard about or doesn't know anything in a in the ninth movie. You can't do. How do you get bigger than the Galactic Emperor? The only way you could get bigger is the mystery of who is Snoke from the outer regions with this First Order. All right, that's that's it. So since that was dispatched, then they were left with they kind of had to go here. And I just think they, that, again, with another minute or so and more foresight, and this is something, this is, again, I think, I don't, think, I don't even think this is a Ryan Johnson issue. I, I, I look at Ryan Johnson like, a, like 
as like if, if I were a parent, like I'd look at a child. If I hand my child my keys to my home and I hand him the keys to my vehicle and I say, it's all yours. Do what you want with it. I'll be back here in six months and see what happens. I, I mean, if, if I'm not going to provide them any more direction than that, right. I should not be shocked at whatever they come up with during that period of time. Don't blame the scorpion that he stung the frog. That's a great analogy. Yes, it's in his nature. Don't tell a director, hey, here's a toy. You may do whatever you want with it and then come back and be like, ah, well, maybe not accept that. You should have told me that ahead of time. I think it's a Kathleen Kennedy Townsend issue. And I just when and comparing it to Marvel, who's also under the Disney umbrella. The amount of self-awareness Marvel has, the amount of math Marvel's always doing, the reverse engineering they're always doing to cover all plot holes that, that come up years later so that, that it seems like it's a seamless garment. And the fact that here Disney, which already has a universe that does this, and now they've got the original universe that created Easter eggs and all these terms we know today, and they didn't bother to do this from the outset. I, I just, pardon the pun, I marvel at that ineptitude. I don't think that everything has to be so on the nose, which is going to lead us into another conversation. So, okay, so Palpatine's on life support, all right? We both agree with that. Uh, his, 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 his physical presence cannot support himself. He is on life support, and the, the evil spirit of all the Sith that live in him is what is, is his, his sentence. All right, his, he 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 can't live apart from this life support. So the next scene we get to is the Poe and Finn and I Chewbacca on the Falcon, running from you know getting away from uh, some Tie Fighters, getting to this iceberg planet, and they we learn that there is a traitor within the First Order, and they load the information on the traitor plug R2 in, and then here's an Easter egg, which you d didn't know till later. Um, the guy who was down giving them the, uh, you know, I guess the uh, Ethernet connection, you know, when they said, hey, th how can we ever repay you? And the guy's like, just win the war. You know who voiced that? Mark Hamill. Mark I did Hamill not voice know that. that character. Yeah. I mean, Mark Hamill is one of the most accomplished cartoon voice actors of all time. So anyway, so then they, they leave, they escape, and they do some light speed skipping, which was cool visually. But I yep. don't want to get too down into the physics of a make-believe pretend world because I think at some point in time we've always been told that you should not light speed skip. And they did give some, you know, they, they did verbalize that a little bit. And then we go from that, which all that stuff was kind of fun. It was really action-packed to start with. Then yep. we get to – then we get then we get to then we cut to Ray and she's doing her training and she is levitating well off the ground. Um, and she's saying, be with me, be with me. She's calling out to the old Jedi of the past or we think that she is because she would reply, reprise that line later in the movie. Or maybe she was just saying, meaning Luke, you know, be somebody be with me. I'm alone here. I'm trying my best. And, and Leia was with her. And then anyway, the, the Millennium Falcon lands. And Poe gets off, and the Millennium Falcon's on fire, and he and Finn are fighting, and then Ray comes up, and then Poe and Finn and Ray enter into this two-minute dialogue that it was so cringeworthy. It was my least favorite part of the movie. I don't know what it accomplished. You know, you're supposed to be here. You're our best fighter. And just it was just like snippiness of people that have been married for seven years and they know each other well and they haven't matured yet enough. It, it was just weird. 
and, and then and then Finn is trying to get Ray's attention, and he wants to tell Ray something. He's like, "Hey, I need to tell you something." And Poe's like, "Whoa, we got secrets." And and that happened a couple other times in the movie, and it, it it was it was obvious the second time what he meant after they showed some, you know, some other dialogue in there. But what did you think about that? To me, that was really forced. It inter- introduced Leia. Obviously, the dialogue between Leia and Ray and anyone was very thin because they were using footage that was from the cutting room floor of the first two movies before Carrie died. I'm glad they didn't recast her character. I'm glad they used what they used. I think they reverse engineered that and did the best they could. And I'm okay with it because I was glad Leia was in this movie. So I give him a pass. What were your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I I think they handled Leia probably about as well as they could have. Um, I loved the idea of retconning her as Rey's Jedi master. I think Mm -hmm. that's very clever. Um, And we'll get to how they how they explain that. And that's and that's why I w- I'm critical of what we saw at the beginning and at other times, because when we get to the part of how they explain Leia's ability to be a Jedi Master, it's very clear. It, you know, I don't criticize people if they sh- if they if they can't do something that they're being asked to do, but those that was a scene that showed. Yeah, they're pretty capable of tying up a lot of these loose ends better than the shoddy way that they kind of did many occasions, and that's. Where I start feeling like, well, if you, you can, you know, if you can do it the right thing here, why can't you do it over there? And it that's, was 30 seconds. Yes, that's again. I try I said 10 more minutes spread out over this film. All right. I'm, this coming around, a lot I'm, coming around, I'm coming around to that. <laughs> now, I think this dialogue you're talking about, one of the major criticisms of the first two movies is that this is supposed to be the new Trinity here. Right. Right. Oh, right, right. Ray and Finn. Yet they're never in any scenes or together. They're separate from each other the entire time. And so I think that this was an attempt to put them together right away and, and sort of emulate the, um, the, the, the scene in the corridors of Hoth between yeah, Han, Han and Leia, Leia yeah. okay, when, where it's first being broached that there might, yeah, there might be. Yes, yes. I think this was an attempt to emulate that and show that, yeah, these three, this is different than the dynamic of a love triangle before they found out they were brother and sister in the other one. In this one, the dynamic is that um, what, what two of the Trinity don't even like each other, really. And the other one, it, we, and, and, the other, and, and then the other angle is we think those other two kind of may like each other more than, you know, more than just friends. And so I think this was a clumsy attempt to, again, say, we've got to set the stage to put these guys together and, in a movie. Because if they're going to be the titular characters and wherever this goes in the future— then, you know, people have got to, you know, buy into seeing them together. And I think that's what that was kind of a clumsy attempt to got begin it. as a launching off point. Okay. I, I, can, I can buy that. Um, see if there's anything else. I, I started to make notes on these things so I could do this chronologically. Um, okay. So then next we see them going, they, they get some intel um and the, everyone's aware that Palpatine's back because R2 you know had that intel on him and they go to this planet i think it was called Pasana yeah you uh, missed the part you missed the part where they they send Rose Tycho to her yes, room right, right before that yes right she 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 comes she comes running after them and they basically say uh we need you here with Leia you know know your role yeah. oh how about Finn so after she abruptly kisses him in the last movie, yes, he puts his hand on her shoulder, almost like he might as well have just said, "Hey, buddy, hey, pal." Okay. Yes. 
She I went mean, to the that, friend zone. Yes, that I cringed at that actually. Okay? Well, I liked it because I thought that that was it was just unnecessary <laughs> in the last movie. So yeah, again, yeah, I, I did that, but, but I felt uncomfortable for because I've been the one that's had the chick put his hand her hand on her his shoulder. Hey, buddy. Hey, pal. Hey, friend. Okay, so I I know how that feels. Um, I kind of cringed at it. But that was that was fu. That was another fu. Well, yeah, movie. because the and, last time the last time we saw Finn, he was unconscious on the Falcon, right. and Ray yeah. was sitting there just like, you know, handmaiding him. She is. She's Rose Tycho. I think they did a count. She's in the movie for seventy six total seconds. <laughs> Which is, oh, that's... and Chris Terrio, one of the screenwriters, claimed that they had other scenes she was in. They just got cut. I don't. Maybe that's true. I don't believe that at all. I bet I, they I did. I mean, they, they shoot. They shoot so many different scenes in these well, movies. I guess, do I think there were other scenes she was in? Yeah, but did I they don't ever think intend there were her to have scenes. her? Yes. Right. Yeah. I, I, he, I don't. Yeah. It, I don't. From a re, from a real world perspective, I could have seen them almost gratuitously writing in a few extra scenes so that later on they knew in advance they were just going to say, "Hey, didn't work out." Right. She still got paid her scale. But um, just wasn't good for the movie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. So they go to Pisana, and they arrive when some big festival's going on. It's Finn and Ray and Poe and Chewie and 3PO. So uh, R2 and 3PO are separated. Um, but both were together in this movie for uh, a few instances. Um, and during this scene, somebody, you know, one of the little kid creatures gives Ray a necklace. And then there is a... Um, there's there's a scene where where Kylo reaches out to Ray. He seemingly can find her everywhere, which they verbalize that he can find her wherever she's at because there's this connection that they have that we've never seen in other Star Wars movies until this um until you know Ryan Johnson introduced this in in the Last Jedi. So he can find her across space and time. And what we also find out, he, he's beginning to say, I need to talk with you. I, I know something about you. And she's like, tell me. And, you know, and then he reaches out and he grabs the necklace off of Ray's chest from who knows how many light years away. And, mm-hmm. they, and they run a t- forensics test on the necklace, which they trace to this planet. So then Kylo and his Knights of Ren are en route to the planet, and they get there. Uh, our heroes escape being aided by one Lando Galrissian, and that was a really cool reintroduction of him. I thought it was well done for a guy who's in his 80s, and it's not going to be a lot of action scenes. He, he talks to them about uh, this, this uh, Ho, Ho Chi, uh, yep. A guy, a guy that Luke came to the planet with, uh, looking for wayfinders. So they, they, they actually bring a little more life to Luke. No, Lando guy. came to the planet with Luke. That's looking right. For that guy, looking for yeah. Ho Chi. Yeah. Uh, to find, to knowing what they were doing, which brings a little more life to the Luke Skywalker post Return of the Jedi character, as opposed to a guy who was just sitting around doing nothing. So we now know that he was no, out. Can I inter- can inter- can business. I interject? Can I interject yes. on that really quick? Yeah. This is, again, goes back to one of the complaints I aired at the start. So the, the video game Star Wars Battlefront 2, the storyline, which is incredible, by the way, the best Star Wars game ever made. The storyline in that game that Mar- Lucasfilm, Mar- Disney has said, is canon. 
one of the characters you get to play in the story. So this movie takes place. You see the fall of the empire. What happened with the empire after after the after the Death Star exploded over the moon over the Andorian moon? You get to see that, okay? And 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 that the emperor had a contingency plan, and where he was going to send what was left of the of the empire to the outer rim, which is where the first order comes from. They were going to be sent there where he had kept in experimental technology and other things in order to, to, to one day relaunch, that he had downloaded some of his consciousness into some of these sentient robots who, that, that still were acting as essentially like Alexander the Great's generals ran the empire, the Macedonian empire after he died. And you get to see all of this, which again would have helped you understood what, what, what Pal, that Palpatine had a plan in a contingency for all these things all along. It's just how many people bought Star Wars Battlefront to the video game compared to go see these movies. It's not even close. And so one of the things that you learn um, is that you get to play Luke in part of the story of this, of this, of this game, because it's, it's the 30 years between uh, or 20 years, but be between return of the Jedi and the force awakens. And, and one of the story modules in the in the in the story of the game is you play Luke Skywalker as a full-fledged Jedi, and he is going to all of he's going around the galaxy looking for Sith and Jedi relics because he's going to restart the Jedi Order. All right, and so he wants to he's trying to also research Sith relics so that he knows what he's going up against should the Sith ever return. And so if you go, there's a scene in the Last Jedi where Luke is in that little hut that like igloo thing. And, yes. he's, and he he's and, and they show things on his mantle and, and they never explained to you what those things are. Well, what those things are is those are some of the of the of the Sith and Jedi relics. In fact, one of those relics is the exact thing mission. When you play Luke in Battlefront 2, that's the exact mission that's that he cool. is going to he's going to obtain that. OK, so this is a this this stuff is really cool. The problem is the average fan doesn't have access to all of that stuff okay and that's an that so that kind of explains what you're talking about right there that what the backstory of that is and what luke was doing over the course of those years yes so um lando guides them or tells them where to go out in this desert to find the ship that this ho chi had left behind because it was still there all these years later um there's some uh stormtroopers chasing after our heroes and they can fly now which i thought that was kind of funny um and if you play the video games you've been watching stormtroopers fly ever since you know for the last 10 years well, like, right okay yeah. all right Maybe eight people know this Exactly. Know, That's I, my point. Yeah. I know it's more than eight, but and then they get sucked down into this. I don't know, um, for lack of a better term, quicksand. Which whatever happened to quicksand in the movies? When you and I were kids, every movie had quicksand. I mean, Brady Bunch <laughs> had quicksand. But anyway, they get <laughs> nice. sucked down into this subterranean level that has holes that are apparently bored out by a. Um, basilisk from Harry Potter that they borrowed and <laughs> and Ray uses a heretofore unseen or maybe it was in the video games ability force ability to heal a wound and she heals the wound of this beast almost like, like the first time we see this is in the Mandalorian actually it's the first time we see it okay it's um, when baby Yoda does it right almost plucking the thorn out of a paw of a lion 
and the lion not eating her, but going away. So that happens there. And, and, and again, Finn's trying to explain to Ray that he wants to talk to her. But I think we're starting to see that just from little how, how J.J. framed up the, some things, that Finn is Force-sensitive. And this is clearly what Correct. he wanted to talk with Ray about. Correct. And a lot of people are still pissed off that, well, we never got to find out what Finn wanted to talk to. Well, it's right there in front of you. And that's why I say not everything needs to be right on the nose. Or in fact, an executive producer at Lucasfilm has, has verified that on the record that what Finn wants to, want, wanted to talk to her about is that he is Force-sensitive. That is correct. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it was obvious in the movie, so I just don't get why we have to have everything just black and white laid out to us. Anyway, Kylo, um, Kylo and Ray have another encounter. Ray actually seeks this one out. Uh, we get some... You know, we get some other type of slow motion, stop motion type of footage, which I don't mind. Ray does a backflip. She takes out Kylo's ship. We get Kylo, the Knights of Ren. Don't forget that. Uh, yes, the Knights of Ren are there as well with some other uh, ships. And they, uh, uh, they, what would you say, arrest or pick up, detain Chewbacca. Chewbacca is loaded into a transporter. Uh, because this is whenever F Finn said, "Hey, go out and get Ray," and Chewbacca went out there to get Ray, and he gets he gets you know he gets busted, poor Chewie. And we see him being loaded onto a transporter, and then we see Finn uh, run out and scream at Ray, "Hey, this transporter that's taken off, Chewbacca's on there," and Ray reaches up with her Force powers. And basically starts to pull this transporter back down to the ground. I mean, this is one of the most powerful displays of the force we've ever seen. Um, maybe other than Luke projecting himself halfway across the galaxy at the end of um, the the Last Jedi, and then Kylo is you know maybe a half mile away trying to counteract her Force abilities, and Rey gets so mad and so angry that she loses control, and she shoots this. Sith lightning out of her hands, which was more foreshadowing of what was to come. And it blows up. And we're led to believe that Chewie is dead. And I'm watching this with my 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 uh, both daughters. The first time my oldest daughter, Grace, was like, no way. There's no way they could have done Chewie like that because it was very unceremonious. So I knew that they didn't. I knew JJ wouldn't have done that. But anyway, we're left to believe that Chewie's dead. And we see Ray going all Sith with her powers. To me... I thought J.J.'s movie began with these scenes. When they emerged from the snake tunnel, eight point, Star Wars 8.5 had ended, and Star Wars 9 began, about 30, 35 minutes into the movie. Agreed. I think the scene where she, that scene where she unleashes, unleashes the Force lightning mm -hmm. is one of the best scenes in the film. I actually think it would have been a great way to kill off Chewbacca, and it would have added more to the gravity of what was at stake with the situation. And, and I think that's where you probably got the difference between a Lucas and a, and a Disney. Because I think in the end, Disney just probably, you know, they killed Bambi once and they've never lived it down for 75 years. Right. Okay? So, um, but I think that would have been a great way. I think that would have added a lot of weight and gravity and seriousness to what was at stake in the storyline by allowing that to stand. But watching her unleash that, the, the, the facial acting by 
Adam Driver in this film is insanely good. Yes. I mean, his, his, and, and you see it with his reaction in that scene in particular, but all throughout this film, I mean, he, I mean, to me, his performance is heads and shoulders the best in this movie. And I, but I want to go back to Billy D. Williams really quick. I was very impressed with the amount of swag he still brought to the table at his age. Okay. And, and I really thought, man, it was going to be cringe inducing. You know, I was flipping channels the other night and, um, they were, I saw on the guide, um, oh, it was when LSU was beaten, you know, Oklahoma by 75. I'm like, there's gotta be something else on. So I was flipping back and forth between ancient aliens. It just fascinates me how gullible people are. So that's why I get fascinated watching that. And then I saw that there was a Def Leppard concert. And I tuned in, it was in Detroit. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm like, this must have been like 30 years old. It'll be cool watching this. No, it was from like a month ago. And what's what's his name? Is it Joe Elliott? Is that the lead Joe Elliott, yeah. Yeah, can't believe I still remember that. John, he couldn't hit any notes at all. It was painful to watch. And I and I was I watched this for ten minutes, and I thought, unless unless I'm a fifty year old cougar in this audience, there's no way I'm getting off on this. That's how cringy it is. These guys are in their sixties, and and he can't hit a single note. I mean, take the money and run, hit the country time in the rocking chair, go play some hold'em, and enjoy retirement. And I was concerned that 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 Billy D was going to come across that way because I got to have I. I need my, my Lando Calrissian. I need to believe that at any moment he's going to break the fourth wall and offer me a King Cobra. If he's, if, if I don't believe that could happen, then that's not Lando. Know what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. got it's my Lando Lando at, at some point. has got to offer me. I, I got to wonder at some point, could he offer me some eight ball? If that's not true, then that's not Lando. And yeah, I, 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 I was impressed by the amount of swag he still brought to the table. And I, I just thought we needed to note that on the podcast. But the scene where she unleashes the force lightning, I agree with you. That's really where this movie really begins to, to become its own film. And my only disappointment is I think that would have been, I, I think that would have been a powerful way to kill Chewbacca. So the next we find them um going up to the Star Destroyer where Chewbacca had been taken, right? Am I right on this? Correct, yep. Okay, we go up there. Um, Some really good visuals, really good throwback visuals. Long hallways, old school, original Star Wars. They run uh, down the hall against all the stormtroopers, just like Han, Luke, and Leia did. Yes, Yeah, and he was was on, gosh, what was it? He was in Cell 6. I can't remember if that was the same cell number or not but anyway they um they they release chewy and and ray is trotting around there as well uh kai oh no no first of all no first of all i skipped something they went to kamiji kajimi they went down to kajimi Kajimi, because 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 they because c-3po spoke up and said well i know what the the seth um what ruins what those ruins were oh we forgot about that too there was a knife with some seth a sith ruins on it and c-3po said that he knew what those were but he his programming did not allow him to translate it and unfortunately chewbacca possessed that um dagger when he was uh, apprehended and so they went to 
Kajimi to find this person that could um, basically access C-3PO's memory. Unfortunately, that would require a total brain wipe. And then we met up with somebody who Poe clearly had uh, a previous, um, you know, relationship more than friends relationship with but he double crossed her he joined the resistance she went into debt because he left etc etc um but ray you know used her force abilities to convince them to come to their side anyway they get this Sith stuff out of c-3po's head after we we're going to take one last look goodbye at our friends and that sort of stuff and then they make their and kylo uh is hot on their trails they get out of town ahead of the posse and they're back up on this ship to rescue Chewbacca, I believe. And Ray is up there, and Ray is going through Kylo's personal quarters, sees all these old artifacts, sees Darth Vader's helmets, etc. At this point in time, Kylo reaches out to her again with the Force, and then he's able to figure out where she is because she's at his quarters because they get into a lightsaber fight across space and time. And one of the things that they mess up when you're having a lightsaber fight in your bedroom, things are going to get destroyed. And Darth Vader's helmet <laughs> is what got destroyed, and that helmet lands in Kylo's feet down on K- Kajimi, and he knows. He says, "Hey, they're in my quarters. Lock down the ship." Kylo's is coming back. Our heroes are they made their way to the they made their way to their getaway ship or to the space dock. Falcon's outside. Ray's there, Kylo's there. Ray's surrounded, but the Falcon pulls up. The Falcon hits its afterburners, which somehow doesn't burn everyone to a crisp. And it's a really cool scene uh, visually. And I think was it it was in that scene that Kylo tells her that she is a um palpatine yep yes okay. yes yes yeah so because because he says that I'll is be to, up. that's to, and that's to emulate vader saying to to, to luke right i right. am your father join me we can get right. rid of the emperor he makes the same offer to her yes. yeah because because when kylo reaches out to her to talk uh, a little force uh conversation there he's like she's like you have to tell me because he had hinted he knows who her parents were and she's like you have to tell me he's like i'll be right there I'll be right there to tell you. I'll come tell you in person. And he's asking her once again to take his hand, which is an important thing to remember. Um, he's like, I offered you my hand once before, and you'll take it this next time. And remember, Palpatine said go kill her. Now, maybe he knew that Kylo wouldn't kill her. But, Pal- but, but Kylo is like, right from the get-go, is like, hey, you know, the emperor wants you dead, but I don't want you dead. I offered you my hand before. I'm going to offer you it again. We can rule together. So anyhow, they leave at that point in time, and they make it back to their rebel base to where they have to mount one more, one more, one last fight. They have to go to this um, – well, no. The, gosh, wh- where are we here? Because they do go back to the planet, and they want to go make an attack on these ships, and they're going to – but Ray is all upset about something. Oh, Ray was upset that she was a Palpatine, so mm-hmm. she cho- she chooses to exile herself. Do I have it right? She chooses to exile herself. Yeah, we've missed the part where they were and and Hux frees them. Remember? Okay. Oh, that's right. Hux frees them. He is the. That's right. Hux is the uh, the traitor, and then he asks. Uh, Finn to shoot him in the arm. Finn shoots him in the leg. I'm not sure if there's anything significance there, uh, but then they figure out that Hux, you know, Hux is like saying they shot me while trying to get away, and whomever the the 
number two guy is kills Huck. Says, "Okay, we've killed our traitor." General Pride. Yep. Yeah. Kills him as the traitor. Yep. Yep. Kills him, and and then we've got Ray running off to basically go basically do what Luke did. She finds out she's a Palpatine. She's scared for what that could mean. She doesn't want to bring any harm, so she goes to the same Octu planet that Luke exiled himself on, and we see her. She had blown up Kylo's new new ship or something or other. However, she got that. I don't even. I don't even. No, I'm jumping way ahead. I'm jumping way ahead. They go back and they go to Endor, right? They go to yes. one of the Endor planets. Yes. They go to actual Endor. Remember, actual, yes, actual. Remember th- that the Ewoks don't live on Endor. They live on the Endorian moon. They go to actual Endor. There you go. Yes. Thank you for, for your – yeah. So I, I jumped ahead there. So they're on Endor. They land the Falcon. Didn't have any landing gear, so they've got to repair that. Um, Ray, who was raised her whole life in a desert, somehow knows how to manage a – At a parasail and an Olympic <laughs> level and win the, win the America's Cup? Yes. Yes, in, in, in 75 <laughs> to 80-foot swells. Um, and she makes it to the the ruins of the Death Star, which she knows that's where she's going to find a Wayfinder because they have recovered the dagger that Chewbacca had and it visually lines up, which I thought was kind of cool. And then she goes there and she encounters Dark Ray, which I guess is some type of, you know, Dagobah cave where Luke encountered yep. Dark Luke. Which that's, I, that's right. right. When everybody saw the dark ray in the in the previews, I'm like, that's just a Dagobah vision. That's what it will be. And it was. But she did find the Wayfinder, but also Kylo Ren had found her. And we have this fight between her and You said Kylo. this was you said this was in the ruins of the Emperor's throne room yes, from the, the destroyed yes. Death Star. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So the it's actor. in the same throne room where Luke and Vader have their showdown, but it's yes. the ruins of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Just just really cool. Uh, and, and that's a total JJ move, and I'm all for it. And it, and and then Kylo and Ray have this awesome fight. And I'm really not big on fights, but I thought it was really good. But it's clear that that Ray can't beat Kylo, or she's just tiring. Kylo's not trying to kill her; he's trying to just beat her into submission to join him. And it's at this point, back on the Rebel planet, wherever that is, Leia can sense with the Force that something's bad is about to happen, and she needs to intervene. And she does. She intervenes. She's holding a medal that we will find later. She's holding a medal. And I'm guessing it might be Han's medal that he was awarded at the end of um, A New Hope, but we don't know this. But it's one of those medals. And That was the medal that was given to Chewbacca later, by the way, according to the filmmakers. Of course it was. Yeah. I mean, we didn't need to know that. I mean, J.J. righted a whole lot of wrongs. And yep. one of them through all these years was Chewie should have got a medal, and he did, mm-hmm. which was so cool. And Leia reaches out with the Force and distracts Kylo, at which Ray stabs him through the stomach with a lightsaber. And she then – which Leia, using that last bit of strength, that's how she dies. She basically – lays down her life to save Ray, but maybe an opportunity to redeem her son before he dies. But I think it was more about empowering Ray than the latter. And then Ray reaches over and brings him back to life with that, you know, revitalizing force skill that she has. And it almost broke his attachment to the darkness 
and we'll get to the the Han scene in a second. But your thoughts on everything to that point? Well, there's a lot going on there, and we didn't even mention that we get extended looks at the Knights of Ren. But this is again where, if you have the visual dictionary, here's what you know about the Knights of Ren: is you know that the reason they're called the Knights of Ren is they were they were once led by a guy named Ren. And Ren was essentially Snoke's apprentice. Only two there are, a master and apprentice. And Ren was essentially his apprentice. Not, so since Snoke is not a Sith Lord, he is not a, t- a traditional Sith apprentice. He is dark side sensitive and, gets, and, and, and gains power from essentially Indiana Jonesing Sith relics. And he's collected this band of, of um, vagrants slash warlords that are his knights and they all have names. I don't know all their names, but they're all in a, the dictionary. And some of them have powers of deception. Some of them have powers of munitions. It's basically a military outfit. And so the way that, that Kylo Ren proves to Snoke, he has truly come over to the dark side is just as Anakin had to defeat Count Dooku. And just as Luke was told, you've got to defeat Vader and take his place. Snoke tells Kylo or tells Ben Kenobi, you have to be able to defeat Ren and you have to slay him. And Ben does easily because he's a lot more powerful than, than, Ren, than uh, Ren is. And that's how Ben Kenobi becomes Kylo Ren, the head of the Knights of Ren. That would have been cool to see in a movie or, or hear about, don't you think? I think that would have been kind of neat. Probably more important than Canto Bite. Or, well, I, yeah, well yeah, yeah, I blame Ryan Johnson for that. Yeah, probably more important than the visiting a festival on a planet you never heard of. You know, just again, just throwing some stuff out there. But um, the rest of this actually plays very well. I don't have too much commentary. I think it's done well. It plays well. It's paced well. Um, and I think you described it well. I think Adam Driver carries all of these sin- scenes with, with the power of his persona and his acting. Um, and um, And then we get to what I think could very well be the best scene in the whole movie. Yeah, when Kylo's just standing there as he watches Rey leave, she hops in his ship and she takes off and she's going to take herself to exile. We don't know that she's on her way to Octo, but that's where we find her next. And Kylo's staring off and watching her go and we're look, the camera's on his face and we hear um a voice hey kid and it's han solo and i had no i had 99 percent no idea he was going to be in it the one percent because i i stayed away from any spoilers anything i I did i did not read anything coming up on this movie but the one percent of hope i had that harrison ford was going to be in this reprising the role of han solo was i saw that harrison ford was attending the opening night of the movie and i thought to myself for someone who has publicly for decades been against even being a part of this star wars movie almost that it was beneath his talents and who's wanted to distance himself from it who wanted george lucas to kill him off in empire strikes back in frozen and carbonite and just be done with it i thought to myself why would harrison ford be at the opening night for this movie unless he's in it so that was my one percent hope and it was rewarded and the dialogue that they had 
obviously they reprised the end of Force Awakens um, with Kylo saying, you know, I know what I have to do, but I don't know that I have the the strength to do it. And Han reaching up and um, all the, you know, the I know comment and all that. I loved it, dude. I was, I was, I was breaking up. I was, there were tears come. This was the first of tears coming down my face of several more that were about to come. Agreed. And I, this, this scene was far more impactful for me. As I said earlier, the second time I saw the film, because I, I'd given up the ghost of that's the best they got. That's all they came up with. Or why didn't he do this? And just all those things had been answered. So I'm just watching it as a movie. And I think this could very well be the best scene in the whole movie because you have one of the 10, 15 greatest actors in, in Hollywood history in the role that launched his career one last time. And, and Adam driver, as we've said throughout this podcast uh, is just phenomenal. This in this whole movie. And um, just as there's a lot of coming full circling and this is very reminiscent. They're out on a ledge, um, but now they're in the light. Like they were out on a ledge in the dark, um, you know, at Starkiller Base in The Force Awakens. He even looks at him and says, I know what I have to do, but I don't think I have the strength to do it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just a great, great scene. So then... We see Ray on Octo, the ship she'd stolen from Kylo, because she was also upset because Kylo had destroyed the second Wayfinder. Uh, they realized after the first one was gone that there were two of them. They were excited. Um, and she'd found that second Wayfinder in the throne room, but Kylo basically destroyed it, saying, if you want to go to Exegol, you're at to go with me. And so she was dejected, and she felt like, it would be better to take herself out of the scene, uh, out of play and everything, than be a part of it since she was a Palpatine. She goes there. Kylo's ship is burning. And, and this probably, this is one of my two favorite scenes in the whole movie. One of my favorite scenes in any Star Wars movie. And the biggest FU to Ryan Johnson there was. Uh-huh. It was when she's sitting there, the thing's burning, and she looks at she looks at the lightsaber and she re- leans back and she throws it into the fire and Luke's force ghost catches it before it goes into the fire. And he says, that is what, that's no way for a Jedi to treat his weapon. A, 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 a Jedi, Jedi's, a Jedi's weapon, weapon deserves more respect than this. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I was like, yes, screw you, Ryan Johnson. And that was JJ <laughs> saying the same thing. That's for throwing the throwing the lightsaber over the shoulder. I mean, Mark Hamill has been on record, very politely, by the way, non-combatively, saying that he didn't agree with the depiction and adaptation of Luke Skywalker. That wasn't Luke Skywalker to him. But, you know, I thought Ryan Johnson did a great job with the movie, blah, 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 blah. Well, that had to be really fulfilling for him. And then Ray was saying, you know, Ray was basically telling Luke all the things that she wanted to take herself out, that it's all for naught. You know, these are the things that you told me. I agree. And he's like, I was wrong. Another refutation, repudiation of the entire Luke Skywalker character that we saw in The Last Jedi. He says, I was wrong. 
which means it was wrong. Ryan Johnson was wrong. There was, there was, you know, quadruple entendre going on in here. And um, he speaks some sense into Ray. He fires her up. She wants to get back in the game, but there's only one problem. She blew up the ship. And he's like, I got a plan B. And this is another, I mean, I cried when he caught the lightsaber. And I cried when he raised up Red Six, his X-Wing, that he mm-hmm. had submerged in the water. And he raised yeah. it up and he had the smile on his face. And it was the same music they played. Yoda, Yoda Yoda's thing. The same yep. thing up out of the swamps of Dagobah. Dude, I I just injected into my veins. There were so many Star Wars moments in this movie for me. So few in The Last Jedi. Very, very few. This was Star Wars. And it only lasted probably three minutes of screen time, maybe four. But it was worth it. I, I, I'd pay ten bucks just for those three minutes just to have. I can't add anything. I, I mean, your uh, and and your enthusiasm, I think, says it all. So, what what you said, second. <laughs> He's my favorite movie character. I mean, it's, you're you're either Han or Luke, or you're both on the playgrounds. I always gravitated <laughs> towards Luke, and Luke. You know, the reason that the Last Jedi hit me so hard at the end, I've never lived in a world that didn't have Luke Skywalker alive in it. You know, at least, you know, obviously on cinema and to see him again and see him righting those wrongs and see him succeeding where he'd failed before. It was just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, So after this, our other characters, Poe and Finn and 3PO, um, they get back to the the rebel planet. They find out that Leia is dead and that was difficult to deal with. And we've got all that going on, and they know we're ex- – they, they, they then are, all of a sudden somebody says, hey, um, R2, R2 starts chirping, and 3PO says, R2 has seen a signal from Master Luke. And somebody recognizes that's Luke's X-Wing, it's Red 6, and then Finn they, – they put the cameras on Finn for a second, a full heavy second which allows you to see he's sensing something. He's like, race flying. Red that six ship. or red five? A red five. If I said red six, yes, gosh. I, yes. Yeah. yeah I knew five. if I didn't correct you, I was going to let it go the first you time. You can't let that go. You shouldn't have. The second time, we were going to get rightfully destroyed on Twitter. Yes. And it would have all been deserved. Yes. <sighs> gosh, thank you. Red five. I apologize to those of you who've been pissed off at me for the last half hour. Um <laughs> Because those of you listening to this are the kind of people that would be pissed off for the last half hour. Those yes. of you, who were, those of you who who were pissed off when you saw another Miller and Dace podcast, one more for old time's sake, and it was Star Wars. You left a long time ago, pissed off for a whole different reason. But anyway, so they know it's that, and I got I just love the nostalgia from just hearing that, and it's you know, and then the, he's sending us the coordinates to Exegol. So then they all mount the attacks. They know they got to go in, and they got to take out the underbellies of these. Sh- and somehow they know that there's a transmitting tower on the planet of Exegol. I'm not sure how they got that intel, but they did. Bottom and spies. Yeah. And then they, I'm and then they, and then, yeah, I know you were. I know you were. Yeah. And then they make their way there through the Star Trek Nebula again. Oh, by the way, I forgot about the uh, Planet of the Apes chimpanzee who welded Kylo Ren's helmet together. Could they just not have done that? A chimpanzee? We didn't need that. Did JJ do anything with Planet of the Apes? No. No, okay. in fact, that's twenty. Although that is twentieth century Fox, that used to have the rights to Star Wars. 
but not anymore. Okay, anyway, I didn't like that. So they're there on the planet. They get there. They're going to mount a ground assault on Star Destroyers, which everyone's like, what? And they're like, okay, we um, we, we got an idea for that. Anyway, and that's when we introduced these horses that we picked up from these ex-stormtroopers uh, that were hiding out on Endor. Uh, they brought their... Uh, you know, their, their Noah's Ark with them and brought these horses onto it. Some people were freaking out about that from the from the trailers. I didn't really care. I thought, you know, they, they made it make sense logically because you couldn't mount a ground assault otherwise because they could knock out the equipment, but you can't, like, you know, use an EMP to knock out a horse. Um, and then Ray goes down to confront uh, Snoke, and while she's down there confronting Snoke, the battle is raging up above... And she's face to face with Snoke, and Snoke is still hooked up to life support. Now, now these are you mean Palpatine? You mean Palpatine? Palpatine. Yes, Palpatine's hooked up to life support, and these are important points. He's still hooked up to life support, and he tells Ray that she, if she kills him, which is what he wants her to do, his life force and all the history of all the Sith that live in him will go into her. His granddaughter. And also present are all the acolytes who've been doing Palpatine's bidding for the last 30 years. Um, you know, it looks like a football stadium full of, you know, tens of thousands of these ac- acolytes. And so it's it's one of those things, strike me down and I will become more. It's one of these the throwback. Ray is in a catch-22. She wants to take Palpatine out, but if she does it, she gives him what she wants and she becomes a Sith. Mm-hmm. She'll be inhabited by them. Well, enter Kylo, or actually, enter Ben Solo. Ben comes there. Somehow he found a way to get to Exegol. He knew the way, and he found a ship. He gets there, and he gets into a fight with the Knights of Ren. And he had already thrown his lightsaber away, so he didn't have one. And they're beating him down. Ray has a second lightsaber that Luke had given to her, and it was Leia's saber, which was the reveal how Leia could have been training Ray. But she left to um, she left her training early after she had bested Luke in a fight. By the way, which implies she had pretty good power. Yep, this was a great retcon scene, and they had him uh, aged appropriately. It shows Luke training Leia and how Leia finished her training. It's really, really well done. And it's the kind of scene that if they'd done three or four more of these in this movie, they could we would have, have loved it. Yeah. Really we, special. We, we would have all we would have all loved it. Yeah. Um and so then Ray force passes a lightsaber to Kylo. He kills the rest of the Knights of Ren. Don't forget he gives the Han shrug first, like his You're papa. Right. Yes. He gives the same shrug. When he gets the lightsaber, he gives them the same kind of uh, you know, cocky shrug like his old man, and then he just opens a can. That's I, to- I, I totally missed that, but you're right. Um, that's awesome. That's that's like meta stuff there. And then he and Ray, uh, Ben and Ray are in front of Snoke to fight him together. And then the on life support still emperor uses his force powers to attack them. And as he's doing it, he realizes something. A most fortunate uh, and unforeseen, he verbalizes, occurrence. That Ray and 
Kylo form a force dyad, which means they're so. I mean, I don't even know exactly what it means. It almost means like they're one in the force. They're two different like, people. Like symbiotes, basically. Yeah, which 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 explains a lot how they could track one another down through time and how they could find one another in the previous movies, which was a way of explaining it. Even no, but they never explain where this comes from. And now no. Lucas is saying Lucasfilm rejects this. However. In one of the comic books that Disney says is canon, what you learn, what when in the Vader comic, when he is trying to learn the origins of, of the Sith and learn his own origins, what Vader learns in the comics that Disney says is canon, even though Lucasfilm doesn't want this to be true, there's a discrepancy, but in the, in the comics Disney says are canon, this Vader comic, what you learn is that it is Palpatine who manipulates the midi-chlorians to create Anakin Skywalker. And okay. so the reason, that, so remember, remember Shmi and, and, the, and the Phantom Menace says he has no father. Okay. Yes. And so they, so what they're, so it's, it's using again, what he learned from Darth Plagueis is that Palpatine in a way is Anakin's father. That's what Vader learns in that comic. So, okay. One of the reasons, so why that's relevant to this is one of the reasons they could be a dyad is because in some risk is because they're indirectly part of the same force line. They're, they're an echo mirror of the same force line, meaning that, meaning that Ben Kenobi is part of a line of force users uh -huh. that were test tube contrived by on a spiritual level. <laughs> they're not. So when Ray and, and when Ray and, when, when you have Ray and, and Ben kiss later, it's not the brother-sister situation like Luke and Leia in Empire, meaning that, that the Skywalker line is essentially a spiritual ritual, for lack of a better description. It's a manufactured, yeah, they're manufactured yes. DNA relation. But where, not, where, yeah, yeah where, where Ray comes from a line where Palpatine did it the old-fashioned way. Yes. Right. Yep. Okay. okay. So I, I get it. That's good. So there's the dyad. And then Palpatine's flesh on his fingers starts to heal. And he says, well, this is unforeseen and most fortunate. The reason why it's most fortunate for him is he doesn't have to die anymore. He gets, mm -hmm. to, he gets to inhabit a, a more corporeal existence. And he then ultimately detaches from life. This is the Sith anti anti antithesis of the Jedi healing ritual that you saw that you saw Ray do twice in this movie yes. where she is trans transposing or transfusing some of her force essence to someone else to heal them. Okay. This is the Sith antithesis of this where they're essentially bleed like a vampire bleeding you of your life essence. Right. They're, they're taking it from you. That's what's going on here. Right. And again, little, little, uh, was it the Dementors from Harry Potter sucking, sucking yes. the life essence out of them too. So yes. Good analogy. Um, yeah. So this is happening, and then Ray and Kylo, or Ben and, and Ray, are down. Now we have Palpatine back in a full body. He's detached. Very important that now he doesn't need Ray to kill him because he's, he's back in the flesh, which is a key component later on. And then Kylo starts to get up from his beleaguered state first, and then Palpatine basically says something like, oh, this will be great the last Skywalker and we throw him down a well and seemingly he's dead. 
And then Ray is laying there trying to come to, and she utters the same line that she uttered the first line we saw her in this movie, be with me, be with me. She's calling out to all the Jedi through the eons, through the ages, through the past. And we get this really cool moment where we hear voices of Jedis from the past, Samuel L. Jackson, Yoda, Ewan McGregor. Um, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn. Ahsoka. Uh, Ahsoka, Ahsoka Tano, yes. And, and others that I don't know, but other people know. So we hear them all. I'm with you, Ray. I'm with you, Ray. So it's like... Hulk you mentioned Hulk. Ben, you mentioned Kenobi, right? Yep, Obi-Wan. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Hugh McGregor and, and, and Alec Guinness, too, I think. Yes. Maybe. Um, yeah. it, it, it's almost like Hulk Hogan laying on the mat. He's out there giving him the three count. And they get yes. to two and a half. They're dropping yeah. the arm, and he holds it at two and a half, and his hands start shaking. And he gets up, and the crowd starts pumping, and Ray gets up. And Ray has both lightsabers. She does the little Jedi trick where she sucks them into her hand and is much slower and coming across the scraggly rocks. And she has them. And she says some line that's very profound that I can't remember what she says. So it's Snoke's lightning. And Snoke's lightning is also just wiping out all the people that are flying above in the fight that were. Yeah, he's using it against the star, against the. the, the and what an incredible show of fleet. force yes. that. That's the most incredible show of force from one character in the force that we've ever seen in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so Palpatine and Ray, I think I called him Snoke again are just sitting there fighting with their power versus hers and her Jedi powers wind up winning the day. And just basically we've got a little uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark thrown in for good measure. When the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant melts the faces of the Germans and the Nazis Yes, and, and yep. Ray melts the face off of Palpatine. And that basically takes all the force she has and she dies in the act temporarily until Ben crawls out, limps up, and since he learned from Ray how to bring somebody back to life, since she did that with him, he does the same thing for her, and they kissed, and there was something about wanting, I wanted to take the hand, I wanted to take your hand all along, I just wanted to take Ben Solo's hand, and then he dies, which... I thought was perfect. I thought all along he would die in a redemptive matter in this movie. Mm-hmm. How they did it was fantastic. All the friends flying around up topside. You know, Lando comes into the rescue. Did you know that his gunner was Wedge Antilles? Yes. Yep. Yep. Good, you know. Um, good flying, Lando, he and says. You see lots of ship. You see, you see lots of, you see of the ghosts. This, you know, there's videos. The amount of Easter eggs in that fleet. Like yeah. the, one of the ships from Star Wars, Rebels is in there. The ghost. Okay. There's yeah, the ghost. Yep. So there's there's a lot of Easter eggs in that armada that assembles there at the end. Yeah, yes. it was incredible. It was awesome. And then they make their way back to the uh, Rebel base planet. And well, anyway, remark on some of those things. I just said a lot. I think I think that if they had done a better job. I, I think these sequence of scenes as the are going to wear well over the years. I think people are going to like the scenes more and more and more as the years go by. I think they're they're missing some of their potency and impact for a segment of the Star Wars audience now because of how poorly they managed the the larger meta narrative around this trilogy that. Um, 
in, in some respects, I think these scenes are better made than the final scenes of Return of the Jedi. There's no but, doubt. But the impact of learning that, that, that Vader was Luke's father, right? I mean, it carries so much emotional resonance that you don't realize that. And I think, I think if they had managed their meta-narrative better, then this would have been the Star Wars equivalent of watching Tony, Snark, Tony Stark snap his fingers at the end right. of Endgame. Right. Um, and, and die at the end. But because they didn't do that, I think, I think and then I think people, just, I, I would count myself among them, the second time I watched this sequence of scenes, it, it, it impacted me emotionally more the second time than the first mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I go see it again here in the next few days, you know, um, I, I'm I'm guessing that it will impact me emotionally all the more. I think I think this this sequence of events, like I said a minute ago, I think it's going to wear well as the years go on. Yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic visually, um, storytelling, the the visuals telling most of the story. I mean, it just the the sentimentality of all the Jedi. It was just it was beautiful. Um, so we're we're back on the Rebel Planet. Everyone's celebrating, and um, Chewbacca gets his medal. Which something I didn't say earlier. When Chewbacca found out that Leia had died and and was emotional, that choked me up earlier in the movie too. That was really well done. I thought Chewbacca getting his medal was awesome. Although uh, that's Han's medal, is my understanding. It's that's from yeah. what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I said that when Leia was dying and holding a medal. I okay. think it was okay. Han's. Yeah, and. You know, the big three were hugging and we started to pull away and we were fading to black. And I just like, you know, that's okay. I hope there's something more. Well, there's another scene there you got to mention. And it's where this Jana that they met on Endor, who also had escaped the First Order. Yes. She's fighting alongside Finn in the movie. Yes. And she has an interesting conversation with Lando Calrissian. Yes. So this was edited out of the movie. The producers and Lucasfilm are verifying it. I don't know why it was edited out of the movie. That's actually Lando Calrissian's daughter. And Lando um, had a family uh, and a wife. Their child was kidnapped by the First Order. Yeah, their daughter was um, for assimilation. And that's her. Well, if they leave it out, it must have meant they felt like they couldn't tell the story and it wasn't germane to the primary arc and some things had to be left out. So that's probably why. But That okay. is probably why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly hinted at there was some type of relationship because he's like, yep. why, don't we go, why don't we go find out together? I just think in this era of creepers, you know, like I was I was listening to Garth Brooks's uh, that summer on my way home from work today. You know, about the teenage boy so far from home, okay? Yes. She was a lonely, widowed woman, hell-bent to make it on her own. And I don't know, when we sang that song, we were 18, 19 years old, didn't seem like a big deal. I had to flip the channel, John, and turn it off. It made me cringe. (laughs) When we were 18 or 19 years old, we're like, I got to find me one of those. Yes, yes. And now I'm like, this chick's a total creeper. I'm turning this song off. Okay. Yeah, I get I just, it. I, get I just it. think in the era we live in now, you, you you're might, right. It did. It did. It, 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 yeah. it, 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 it did. By by not shedding light on that, it made it seem creepy. But now knowing the backstory, it makes it seem cool. 
yeah, it's cool and it's wholesome and it's yeah. I mean, I, so so don't even yeah. don't even do it then. There's no need for it. Lando already had his come in and save the day flying, and he was flying the Falcon again. We we'd gotten enough from Lando already. We didn't need yep. it. If that if that's the only thing else we got from Lando, it was unnecessary. I agree. Okay. What was the point of you? If they didn't want that in the movie, then just edit that entire scene and total thing out of it. Then take the whole thing out. Unless yeah, they're going to, you know what? Maybe we're going to get a lot of payoffs in the deleted scenes. I don't know, but Maybe. anyway. Okay. Right. And I and I and I usually don't even watch those, by the way. So I, I think if that's their if that was their modus operandi, that's really uh, leaving a lot of people out. But to me, I, I put this as the number one feel for me of this movie, and probably one of the three most emotional scenes of any Star Wars movie of any time for me. And it will be the second time I watched it. I recorded it with my phone so I could keep watching it myself. I'll, I would never upload it because that would be illegal. But um, Ray returns to Tatooine to Uncle Owen and Aunt Bruce. What's their last name? I don't even remember. Uh, Lars. Lars. Yeah, to, to the to the Lars homestead where we first encounter Luke Skywalker in 1977. You know, before he wants to run off to Tashi Station and buy some power converters. And the sand had filled in a lot of the house, and we get a throwback to Ray the scavenger sliding down a sand dune in Force Awakens as she slides down with a smile on her face and just sort of looks around. And then she wraps Luke's lightsaber, or she wraps, she wraps up two lightsabers in a cloth, and they're playing some really cool music. And then she goes and places those two lightsabers out on the sand outside the Lars homestead. And she uses her force powers to basically create a hole in the sand that sucks those lightsabers down 10, 15 feet deep, however deep it was, and covers it back up. Which to me is basically burying an opportunity for 10 or 15 or 20 years from now for them to dig back up. And... A woman, an old woman walks by and says, there hasn't been anybody by here in years. What's your name? And Ray says, my name is Ray. And she's like, uh, Ray who? And Ray sort of looks off into the distance and the binary sunset song begins to play, which is, I've already given instructions to my daughter years ago that at my funeral, I know this sounds morbid to some of you. I said, whenever I die, sis, I want for binary sunset to be played at my funeral. And she says, yes, I will. And my wife thinks it's one of the most morbid things I ever said, but my daughter gets it because she and I share Star Wars. I mean, that's like when she calls me, that's her ringtone. And Ray looks off into the distance and she sees the force ghosts of Carrie Fisher's Leia and Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker huddled together, smiling as if giving Ray permission. And she answers the lady's questions as Ray who? And she says, Ray Skywalker. And I'm giving myself chills right now, even talking about something. I thought that that was, I couldn't, I couldn't have dreamed up a better ending. Having seen that one, anything I would come up with, I would choose how JJ did it. I thought it was spectacular. It, it leads into the movie. It ties the movie together, the rise of Skywalker. I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. And I, yeah. Your thoughts? It's not what I saw coming at the end. I, I thought the rise of Skywalker was was that Ray was essentially going to 
And I think this is actually hinted at when she un- when she unfurls the lightsaber that she's now made for herself, mm-hmm. and the blade is yellow. Mm-hmm. Okay, first time we've seen that in the films. And and I I thought wait, there's that- never been a yellow blade in like Attack of the Clones at the end of that when there's yes. ten thousand Jedi. No, no. The first time we've ever seen it in the films is here. Uh, the only other time we see yellow lightsabers is the Jedi Sentinels who guard the Jedi Temple wield those in the Clone War cartoons. Um, but I thought... Damn, you're the, geek and I love you. <laughs> I thought that the way this was going to end is the rise of Skywalker is that the Jedi are over, the Sith are gone, that Rey, is, that Rey has figured out how to merge... You know they've got you've we, you the saw the light in the dark. Yeah, the, the great Jedi yeah. and and the and Star Wars Rebels, right? And they were gonna the and they best, were gonna call them Skywalkers. And they're gonna call them Skywalkers. Okay. That's how I thought yeah. it was going to end. That's an interesting yeah. theory. I, I, that's a, that's a smart theory. I'm, but what'd you think of how he ended it? Um, I thought it was very touching how he ended it. I did. I thought it was good. I liked it. Yeah. Did you tear up? The second time I did. First time, I, I gotta tell you, the first time I was pissed off. You, you, I, I'm gonna tell you something too. <laughs> Let me tell you something right now. Let me tell you something. Yeah. You sound like Jim Carrey, Fire Marshal Bill. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. yes. When you and I were texting after you'd seen it the first time and I'd seen it the first time, I was pissed at you. I was not only was I pissed, I was I told my daughter and I shared it with her or text. I'm like, he's really pissing me off. And I said, frankly, I don't really care if he calls me or not to do this podcast. I was so irritated that you didn't like the movie remotely. And I was and we'll we'll talk about our final thoughts here in a second. But then you watched it a second time because like some of your reply, I mean, it's not like we go into the long text exchanges anyway, but I'm like, he's just totally patronizing me and placating me here. He's just, you know, being nice and sending something back. And I don't want that. I want him to like the damn thing. And then the, and then you reached out to me uh, yesterday. What time were you going to when, when were you going to report this podcast? I'm like, OK, I guess I'll do it with him. And um, so, yeah, I was pissed. I mean, obviously, not like I'm not going to be friends with you anymore, pissed. But like, you know, I need. Some I get space. it. I get it. I need. Yeah. I need. I need some space from you, pissed. I don't want to talk to you in this state of mind. I get it. I get it. It's also why I told you I wanted to watch the movie a second time before we did this. I know. I know. I, I I had a feeling. I see. I had a similar reaction. Let's just go to the big picture thing. Okay, go ahead. I, I had a similar reaction to The Force Awakens the first time I saw you it. Did. I remember being pissed at you about that, but in the because long I'm run, like, you're right. I've seen I've seen this movie before. They just split Han Solo up. He's half a black guy now and and half Poe Dameron. I mean, they split his character up into two. They turn Luke into a chick. It's the same, you know, on a desolate world. Doesn't know his pat her path. It's the same story. It's the exact same story. Okay. And and now and now Han Solo is the Ben Kenobi, the bridge of the backstory to the new story. It's the same thing. And so I was really, I'm like, that's the best they could come up with, was was run it back. Now, when I watch that, every time I watch that, that movie holds up very well on repeat viewings, I think. Um, and I liked it a lot more the second and third time I saw it in the theater than I did the first. And that's why I wanted to see this movie a second time, because. Like, I saw how a lot of people like you, like another really good friend of mine texted me at, at Christmas. And he's like, we just saw it, man. And I'm, I, this is like right behind Empire. And I'm like, eh, what, really? So I'm like, okay, I got to see this again. And 
yes, yeah, similar to The Force Awakens. I liked it tremendously more the second time. And it I, and I just the way my brain works, I'm like that character in Dirty Harry when he goes when when Dirty Harry looks at him he goes, "I know what you're thinking." <laughs> did he fire five shots or did he fire six? Come to think of it and all the all the craziness, I I lost track myself. So do you feel lucky, punk? And the guy finally looks at him and says, I gots to know. I gots to know. That's me. <laughs> I need to know things. I need to know. Okay, I got to know there's a plan. I got to know. And I really thought the plan was very thin when I saw the movie for the first time. Though when I saw the movie for the second time, my mind had now given uh, my heart and the rest of me permission to set that aside now. Nothing I can do about that. And and did you... and and is this an enjoyable movie? And so I enjoyed it much more the second time. I, I do think there's going to be backstories and plot holes that Disney Plus is going to be answering for us for the next 10 years. They're going to help make a lot of this make more sense. And I'm guessing one of the most common reactions we're going to get to this podcast from the thousands that listen to it is, holy crap, When I like the stuff I told them about the Knights of Ren, the stuff I told him about, this was on Mustafar, the first scene. I, I bet you the most common reaction we're going to get from people is, holy crap, man, that's so cool. I wish I would have known that. Yes. I wish I would have known that watching the movie. Okay? And, and I think that's, you know, Noah and I spent hours on YouTube watching breakdowns of the books and the comics or reading them ourselves. And, and it adds more layers of that context that I think would have, would have made this a very special movie. And I, and I, and I just, and I think in, in the future, JJ has proven himself to be one of the most talented filmmakers of our era. Okay. I mean, and, and, and so if, if he struggles with this, lots of others are going to in the future as well. I think everybody's got to recognize just as people started recognizing in the mid to late eighties that putting, you know, glorified Lego models out there on a, in a, on, behind a black screen and calling that a space fight wasn't going to work anymore. That, you know, not having a narrative or a larger story to tell wasn't going to have, wasn't going to work anymore. Star Wars, just like The Exorcist, The Exorcist and The Omen changed horror films forever. And Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street changed horror films forever in that genre. Star Wars changed fantasy sci-fi adventure films changed it forever what 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 audiences expectations are now and i think in the future when you're building a when you're world building and universe building you better recognize that you are trotting in in, in the arena and in the footsteps of the marvel cinematic universe and you better put that level of foresight into it you better have that level of self-awareness. You cannot paint by numbers nor make it up as you go along at the same time. You cannot postmodern it the way Ryan Johnson did, but you also can't just follow a strict formula either. There is, for lack of a better description, balance in the force you've got to strike. The right amount of homage to tradition with ingenuity and, modern, and modernity. And Marvel has cracked the code. And all the same people that are going to come to your movies went to all these Marvel movies, just like all the same people that went to what came after Star Wars went to Star Wars. If you are not prepared 
to meet that as a minimum threshold. Don't spend $200 million making a movie. It's not going to work. And you're going to disappoint people. And I think everybody just needs to raise the bar and understand it, the world, the universe is different now. And if you can't play in that universe, then you go, you know, underground, alt, you go alt rock, like Warner Brothers did, like the DCU did with Joker this year. All right. And, and you know, you're now going to do Velvet Underground, you know, superhero movies, which, by the way, the Joker is a great movie, by the way. But but know the audience that you're speaking to. And I and I think that when you watch this movie after watching all the star, other Star Wars movies, like to me, Rogue One is this is 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 a masterpiece. And especially if you watch Rogue One right before you watch A New Hope and you see how close Gareth Edwards made it look like that movie from that era, despite new technology and everything else. And then the final scene with Darth Vader, which, by the way, wasn't in the original movie. And they tested it and, and the audience said something's missing. And they put that scene in the movie. And that's the self-awareness I'm talking about. If they would have tested this or, or if they would have spent five or ten minutes putting some of the stuff I've mentioned in this podcast in this movie, it had taken this thing to an entirely new level. That's what Marvel does. Marvel's not concerned if, if the movie is Ant-Man at an hour and 45 or Avengers Infinity War and Endgame at three and a half hours apiece. What they're concerned about is, did we tell the best story we could tell? And did we advance the overall narrative of the, of the MCU? If we did those two things, everything else is gravy. And I think in the future, when you enter into this space, and, now, and, and I can tell that some of these people get it. That's what makes The Mandalorian so good. The nods to the previous... To the, to the previous universes and the universes we're in right now and the way they bring these things full circle. It's just, it's, it's not just well done, but it's honoring of the source material. And I just think that wherever this goes from a cinematic perspective in the future, they better recognize that the universe and the world they're playing in now, you know, this is what's killing the Harry Potter prequel series. It's losing interest in people because it's making people feel like it's not really honoring the source material. We're just kind of making this up now. It's a cash grab. And, and I think people love these movies and love these stories. We, you and I both talked about how emotional, particularly in your case, you got watching this, how pivotal this is to our childhood, to a generation of Americans. Take this crap seriously. Take the source material seriously. Ryan Johnson's a hell of a filmmaker. The Last Jedi is a great film, except for the 25 minutes of Unnecessary on Canto Bite. He put out a movie earlier this year called Knives Out, which is a very clever mystery whodunit, by the way. He's a great filmmaker, but he didn't make a great Star Wars movie. Made a great Ryan Johnson movie. We would never say that about a Marvel movie. We would never say, well, Taiki Waititi made a, made a great movie. It's not a great Thor movie, but it's a great movie. No, it's a great Thor movie. And, and, and they've got to what, make sure you are honoring of your source material, period. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. And I, th I think that you can't make these movies to explain aspects of them later on on yes. Disney+. Plus. That's right. You, you need to use Disney+, Plus to lead up and build up to a movie. 
Yeah, Disney Plus is where the world building goes now. Correct. I agree. That's yeah. where the world building goes. And and the movies are where the payoff occurs. That's right. Yeah. Because I've only I've only seen four episodes of The Mandalorian. I'm waiting to watch the rest with my daughter when we can find time. But from what I've seen so far, I love it. And I, I the first, after the first two or three episodes, I'm like, when this gets all done, it'll be longer than any singular Star Wars movie. And I think this is the future of these uh, of the franchise is doing these serials. We're going to get the Ewan McGregor um, Kenobi, which I can't yeah. even freaking wait for. But I thought they could probably make a movie out of this wherever they're leading this plot to. Or maybe they could, maybe they can't. I haven't seen it all yet. But at, at any rate, they will have this this these small screen story development opportunities that explain the backstory of what we're going to see on the big screen. So you don't have to be on the nose. You just need to make a, a, a nod to what was on the small screen and everyone will instantly fill the vacuum of knowledge with what they saw on the small screen and right. they'll be caught up. It's almost like brain jacking yourself in the matrix after two seconds. Okay. Yep. I know what you're talking about now. Cause I watched all those things and because you and I, we, we watched the Clone War cartoon. Those were awesome. Clone War, there, there is a website out there that I was found once that said, here's the 43 essential Clone Wars episodes you need to see. And I watched them, and they were dead on. Full of so much canon, it's unbelievable. Yep. Yep. And, and as were the Star Wars Rebels. So those are the kinds of things to those loyal fans that you want to be rewarded for later is other than just an Easter egg of seeing the ghost at the end of a movie. So or, I don't, so you haven't seen all of the Mandalorian. I won't spoil it. No, I haven't. We just, no, and I just finished it last night. The last three episodes, dude, are balls to the freaking wall. Great. Yeah. And, and the last shot of the season finale, if you love star Wars rebels and you and I both did the last shot of of the season finale is going to melt your brain. Does it have anything to do with Thrawn? No. Okay. I love no. Thrawn. All right. Yeah, so do I. Well, dude, that was fun. Um, to me, if if someone's gosh, if if someone's listening to this and they've never seen Star Wars, any of them, I really apologize. We just <laughs> just ruined it for you, but we warned you. But someone asked me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago before I left Twitter, uh, as far as just posting on Twitter. Uh, it, you know, I'm new to Star Wars. I've never seen it. What would you recommend I watch these movies? What order? And here's my order. I would start with Rogue One. And I know that you, but listen, we're talking about people that have never seen these things, okay? You mm-hmm. and I saw them as they were released. I would start with Rogue One, and then I would go into A New Hope. Then I would go into Empire Strikes Back, and I would sort of collectively say, before we go forward, we must now go backwards. And I would go to Phantom Menace because I have to include them all. Otherwise, I wouldn't even use Phantom Menace. I would go to Attack of the Clones. I would go to Revenge of the Sith. And then I would go to Return of the Jedi. And why would I do that? Because it would make Darth Vader his redemption have so much more gravity and meaning. And by going Rogue One, New Hope, and Empire Strikes Back, we also don't ruin the big reveal in Empire Strikes Back, which is one Mm -hmm. of the biggest in cinematic history. Because some people are like, well, just watch them in story order. No, because if you watch them in story order, you know exactly who Darth Vader is. 
And, you know, his relationship with Luke. Rogue One, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, then the prequel trilogies. Uh, I'm sorry, Rogue One, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, prequel trilogies, then Return of the Jedi, then Force Awakens, then The Last Jedi, and then Rise of Skywalker. That I love it. my recommendation. I, I, I'm going to second it again. I hadn't thought about doing Rogue One first, but it totally makes sense. It gives more and, gravity yep. to when Leia's saying in A New Hope that there's so many you know, rebels who died to bring us this information. Well, we now know who. And that even has more gravity. Rogue One is so good. And, and I just... To me, Gareth Edwards is made the movie that I think Ryan Johnson could have made two years ago if they had a real godfather or godmother uh, at the helm of Lucasfilm instead yeah. of Kathleen yeah, Kennedy. A CEO, Town. yep, I agree. I agree. Because what Gareth Edwards did is he that's that's the perfect combination of honoring of the source material with ingenuity and 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 a fresh story at the exact same time. Yep. And he, yep. and it's a masterstroke. It was. It was very good. All right, well that that'll wrap it up and uh I, you know, they, they have another trilogy planned for, I don't know, when was it 2022 or 2023? 2022. My, and I think they'll not, push it. They won't say it's a trilogy. They say it may not be. I don't think they know what they're going to do. No, That's so what I, I, mean. I, I think it gets pushed. And I you think, know what? I think that is good. I, I, I agree. really I think agree. Kathleen Kennedy Townsend is like a billionaire. So she can afford unemployment. Fire her and find your Kevin Feige. And can I even suggest a name? By the way, so yeah, I mean, if if you want, to me, I think the smart thing is you is you is you go get Dave Filoni, and, or and John Favreau and have them be it. Yeah, Filoni, okay? Filoni's involvement to me is uh, imperative. Yes, and he's got Lucas's blessing, and and for those that don't know, he's overseen the whole animated universe of the last few years, Clone's War, Clone Wars, Rebels, and I've not watched Resistance and the Clone that, Wars reprise. Yes, he's overseen all of that. And he's helped oversee the Mandalorian as well, which, but but it's really John Favreau's um, brainchild is the Mandalorian, and um, I'd go get them, or I'd hire Gareth Edwards to be that person, or if I was going to go way outside the box, because you might be thinking, hey, those people are talented filmmakers and stuff in their own right, you know, it's like making Captain Kirk an admiral. I want Kirk on this on the bridge of an Enterprise. Not sitting at a desk at Starfleet, okay? Okay. There's a guy named John Campia. And he used to work for AMC Theaters. And now he's got maybe the best movie podcast in the country for fanboy stuff. C-A-M-P-E-A. To me, that's a Kevin Feige for you right there. A guy that would shepherd and honor the source material while being open to new ideas that yeah, advance, advancing the narrative. Yeah. 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 I think that, um, if the, what I've seen thus far, the Mandalorian is fantastic. You know, they were going to make a Boba Fett movie, but the, uh, poor Han Solo, uh, single film, uh, that basically nixed that. I'm wondering if the Mandalorian may be an offshoot of that. And frankly, I'm so it's glad almost not a bad film at all. I don't know why it got dog so much. I think I, it was just yeah. people were just pissed about the Last Jedi. I think so. I, I think so too. I, and I've only seen the solo movie uh, 
two times, once with each daughter, and I don't really have any reason to to revisit it. I just wasn't connected. Yeah, it's to not it. great, but it's not, dude. It's not the Phantom Menace. It's not no. Howard Duck. You know, it's not Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. It's pretty no. good. Yeah, it's just forgettable. Yeah. It's Star Wars, and it needs to be better. Yeah. That, that's pretty much the point that you were talking about uh, a little bit ago. All right, man. It's been fun. As always, my friend, may the force be with you.